You're listening to a podcast from Burley Heads Church of Christ, from Burley Heads on the Gold Coast. You don't know, we're going through a series in Hebrews, and Hebrews is dense. I get that. And to make it even worse, or not worse, but to make it even more dense, we're doing massive bits of it. And so if you're sitting here this morning, and you're sitting, gee, that's a lot of scripture, I'm not sure what the writer's saying, don't worry, we're going to come to a sermon straight after that. But the idea is that we're reading along as a church. The idea is that as a church, we're studying and looking into Hebrews and asking each other what certain sections mean. There's no way I expect you to understand, or even for myself to fully understand, two big chapters in Hebrews. So let it just soak over you, let it just go over you right now, and then start, if you have questions, start to think about the things that you could explore this week and the things that we're going to explore during the sermon from Hebrews 8. Thank you so much, Judy. Thank you. The heading for this morning is Jesus, High Priest of a Better Covenant. Now, the point in what we are saying is this. We have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, a minister in the holy places in the true tent that the Lord set up, not man. For every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices. Thus it is necessary for this priest also to have something to offer. Now if he were on earth, he would not be a priest at all, since there are priests who offer gifts according to the law. They serve a copy and shadow of the heavenly things. For when Moses was about to erect the tent, he was instructed by God, saying, See that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown you on the mountain. But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is as much more excellent than the old as the covenant he mediates is better, since it is enacted on better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. For he finds fault with them when he says... Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. For they did not continue in my covenant, and so I showed no concern for them, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And they shall not teach each one his neighbour and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest." For I will be merciful towards their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. In speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete, and what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. Now even the first covenant had regulations for worship and an earthly place of holiness, for a tent was prepared the first section in which were the lampstand and the table and the bread of the presence. It is called the holy place. Behind the second curtain was a second section called the most holy place, 
having the golden altar of incense and the Ark of the Covenant covered on all sides with gold, in which was a golden urn holding the manna and Aaron's staff that budded and the tablets of the covenant. Above it were the cherubim of glory overshadowing the mercy seat. Of these things we cannot now speak in detail. These preparations having thus been made, the priests go regularly into the first section performing their ritual duties, but into the second only the high priest goes, and he but once a year, and not without taking blood, which he offers for himself and for the unintentional sins of the people. By this, the Holy Spirit indicates that the way into the holy place is not yet opened as long as the first section is still standing, which is symbolic for the present age. According to this arrangement, gifts and sacrifices are offered that cannot perfect the conscience of the worshipper, but deal only with the food and drink and various washings, regulations for the body imposed until the time of reformation. May God add his understanding to this reading. Thank you so much, Judy. We could finish there. Everyone right? That's the message for this morning. Simple, simple message. No, no, so much in there. And of course, we won't be able to get to everything in that today. And so the, the, the hope is that this sparks enough interest, a thirst for the scripture to be able to go home and read and study and explore and argue lovingly, as Kirsten said, wrestle lovingly with the scripture and each other around what the writer is saying here. But first of all, of course, I want to talk about my garage. I want to talk about my garage. Naturally, that's, you all knew that was coming because um, that's where the scripture was leading. I want to talk about my garage. I want to show you some photos from my garage this morning before we dig in to this. There's a couple of photos. These were not planned. I went in and just took some photos of things in my garage and I want to tell you about them. The one up here is a, a skateboard that attaches to a pram on the back. So when suddenly we were pregnant with our third child, we suddenly realised a double-decker pram wasn't going to do it. They were still all under the age of four at that time. And so we're like, what are we going to do with our eldest? And so we brought this. And I remember there was much stress about, can you, how can we get another seat on a pram? Can we put one backwards? Can we put one upside down? But we, much research by my lovely wife, Mez, we found this skateboard attachment. It was a big part of our life, a short part, as we barely use that pram now, but a big part. We had all this planning going into it. We had to buy and find this attachment. Now it's sitting in my garage, but it represents this big time of planning on what are we gonna do with three under four, um, which I no longer, I used to brag about that, but no longer can with the pains doing their double move with um, I think four under four. So yeah, they win. Well done. They are looking at attachments right now that probably need to be custom made, so that's exciting. And then here you have, so that's that plan. That plan, I had a plan to stage a life. Here's the next one, this is my band CD. Uh, my band CD. So we were gonna be massive and big and famous, yeah, it's exciting. Cardboard Castle it was called. We, got, we went overseas and got them printed and recorded. And there's only 250 left in my garage. Um, so <laughs> they're going hot. It's been about nearly 10 years since I played. So you're going to want to pick one up. But it represents a pile of things that represent a memory in my life where that was important. That was a plan I had. I was going to be a solid career of a famous musician. 
And so I had it all planned out. We got two. Uh, we got where well, we got more than 250. I think we got 252 printed. And uh, me and Dave own one. And the rest of the um, yeah, we got 250. If everyone wants to see me after. <laughs> so the amps with that, I got a broken guitar amp that represents a memory of playing in a band. And then I got these two things. I got uh, about a year ago. I got myself into boxing. It's like, what a great stress release. So it's mostly boxing training. I never actually competed. Um, but I was really passionate about it. It was a great way to release stress. Um, sometimes this job can be a little stressful. So I'd go home and do this training. Marky Collins and got, got me into it. And uh, we'd go every Thursday afternoon and do boxing training. Mez, for my birthday, found this thing on Gumtree and we set up this big boxing um, bag. And uh, we found it, we picked it up, it was a bit of an ordeal, we had plans, I was going to get fit, and um, we, Mez bought boxing gloves too, and we were doing this fitness routine in our garage, and oh man, I'm going to get fit, I'm going to be so fit, and um, yeah, that was a good one time we did that. <laughs> that was a great one time. And then of course, lastly, there's the bag, my hopeful gym bag, that sits near the garage door, that I plan to get up every morning, or every second morning, before work, go down to the gym, get fit again, the dream, the plan, get fit, um, get ready for the day. And um, yeah, that sits there most weeks, um, just by the garage door, ready for me to pick it up. It's ready though. When I'm ready, it's ready. So there's my shoes, my gym shoes hanging out there. But we all have, well, dare I say, we all have garages or cupboards full of plans that have changed, right? We all have things that have um, moved on because of a season, moved on because they didn't quite work, or moved on because we had this idea, but we didn't quite follow through. And so you can just imagine if I said to Mez this Christmas, I said, oh, look, I don't want to get one of these cheap ones, and I don't want one, but hypothetically, if I said, I don't want these cheap ones, I want to get a, like a four grand treadmill, because my plan to get fit, and we could squeeze it in a garage somewhere, couldn't we, Mez? I could imagine she possibly, she's loving and she's gracious and she's understanding, but I, I can imagine she might say, do you need one? Are you going to use it, Steve? Would you use the boxing bag or pick up the gym clothes on the way to the gym? Do you need a treadmill? I'd be like, no, no, I need it. My plan, I'm going to get fit. So we all have these plans that we all change. And we live in a world where change is just constant, isn't it? People's plans are changing. I think... If I could sum up the world we live in at the moment, that far larger than fitness or hobbies, we really want to know the big plan of life. We want to have a plan. We want to know what we're going to do in life. And the struggle is that this world is so mysterious, it's so uncontrollable, it's so unreliable, and it's so unexpected in our current age. Take this last picture. Remember these. Do you ever think Blockbuster who had 9,000 stores in the US alone, so not sort of counting Australia or the rest of the world, do you ever think they'd come a day in 2019 where they'd have two left? And I think it's going down to one. Times change. What an anxious world to live in. You probably thought if you bought a blockbuster franchise back in the day, that was a safe bet. Anxiety, no wonder it is anxiety. Am I gonna, and then we have the thought, am I going to miss out? Am I going to miss out on the next big thing? What if I'm not part of that? What if my plans are not part of that? I've talked about Bitcoin before, uh, the most billionaires ever made from buying this thing online. What if I miss the next Bitcoin? 
So I don't want to miss out. I want to have these plans. I want to have these ideas. I want to know where I'm going. What a confusing world to live in, right? What a confusing world to live in. It feels like there's nothing to hang on to. That is exactly the world we find ourselves in the writer of the Hebrews' time. You've got the Roman oppression, so they don't really have a leader. You've got all these middlemen. You've got like King Herod, who was trying to, like that equivalent, the Jewish leader that would really work for the Romans, that was really trying to build his own thing. And you've just got this confusing political system that you don't know who to look to. Then there was this guy named Jesus who brought this radical teaching. And these guys are Christians, the guys in Hebrew, so they, they know the teachings of Jesus. But then Jesus has asked them to change everything. Or Jesus has encouraged them to look wider. All of a sudden it was one group. And now the Gentiles are invited. They're allowed in. They're allowed to come. And they're bringing all types of things. They're eating all types of different things. They're, they're, they're not practicing the things that they used to do. They're bringing all these new stuff into the, into the church, essentially. And then you have the Greek philosophers who are bringing new ideas and going, yeah, I like Jesus, but maybe we could think of him like this. New ideas, bringing philosophy, challenging the faith. And so it is a time that they had nothing to hold on to. A changing time. What if I invest in Rome at this time? Is that going to be a good investment? Turns out it wasn't. But this time, these type of questions. And so this is the encouragement that is timely for us this morning in Hebrews 8 and 9. And that's what I want to pull out this morning, that the writer wants to encourage us with this idea. And I could sum up the idea probably with this line. He says, he gives us a list of things and he says, they serve a copy and shadow of heavenly things. I'll say it again. The writer gives us a list, which we're going to go through in a moment, of things that were changing, of things that the people at that time were doing and were unsure of. And he says they serve as a copy and shadow of heavenly things or serve a copy and shadow. What's that mean, Steve? That's great. Well, it kind of means this. Let me show you this picture. You could, if, that's, if you'd never seen a cat <laughs> and that's all you'd ever seen, you wouldn't know that it actually is projecting some sort of cat through that window. If that's the only image you ever saw, you'd think, look at that weird black shape that moves and meows from behind. I can hear a meow. I can see it moving. It looks like it chases thing. It has these, looks like it might have arms, but it's only a shadow of the real thing. He's saying there are things that we do then, there's things that we do now even, that are just a copy and a shadow of a deeper thing, of a more true truth. It's just a shadow of a cat. It isn't a cat. That's what he means. And so let's go through the list here this morning. Let's start there. So the first thing he talks about, he says in verse 3, for every, in, in 8 verse 3, for every high priest is appointed to other gifts and sacrifices. Thus it is necessary for this priest also to have something to offer. First thing he talks about, and I've got a picture up here, is the priest. Now if you've just joined us this morning, we have been in Hebrews, we've just gone back into Hebrews, we've been in Hebrews for 11 weeks. So there are some details I'm going to skim over. And I'd encourage you to go back if you're interested in this and podcast the last 11 weeks because we've probably only got three left 
and then we're getting into the Christmas lead up. So it's that time of year already. So there is a bit I'm just going to skim over, but go back and have a listen to the last 11 weeks. But we've talked about the priest before, and many of you will know what the priest did. They are the heroes of this time. They're the leaders, they're the people they look up to, they're the people that get, they're the only people in that system that get to have relationship with God or some sort of relationship because they get to enter the Holy of Holies. They represent men and women and get to go into the tent through the different areas and sit in the presence of God after sacrificing a lamb, after having a meal and after washing themselves and many other things they get to enter into the presence of God. And we know, we may not know, that Jesus calls himself the great high priest. These people knew this as well. Jesus became that middleman. He became our representative. And he didn't just shadow what could come. He fulfilled it. Instead of sacrificing a lamb, he gave himself. And actually meant that we can all enter the presence of God. He's just a shadow The writer wants to tell you that the priests were awesome, Jesus was better, and that God over thousands of years has been unfolding a plan. The writer wants you to know that God's not accidentally making his way through this. He's had a plan all along. That's the priests. Then he talks about a tent, another picture, the tabernacle. Oh, yep, that's it, the tabernacle. This would sit in the centre of their, their, their town or their tribe, because they'd move on. This is when the Israelites were in the desert. It later became the temple. And it was so when you wake up each morning, you look out and you see the presence of God or the representative representation of the presence of God in the middle of your city, your town, your tribe. The tabernacle. Lots that could be said about this, but I'll only pull out the bits that the writer kind of hints at. So he talks about that in one of these rooms is this thing called the bread of presence or the show bread is another way it could be called. That's the picture there. So you walk in. I love this picture. You walk in and broad strokes here and the, the priests though essentially after cleansing, after sacrificing a lamb with the blood shares a meal with God. We did a whole eight weeks last year on eating together. God is big on sharing meals. Even back then, he'd eat this bread. It was given to God, and then he'd come in and sit and eat the bread with God. God was constantly just going, I can't wait till I can have a big family dinner with my kids. At this time, only the priest was able to do that. Anyone want to guess what this could be a shadow of? Yeah, communion. We just took bread and juice. This is not an accident. This was one big plan. Thousands of years in the making. No one man can fake this, can create a plan like this. All along, God was doing something. He was foreshadowing the meal that we just had, the celebration we just had, that we have communion with God. Except it's not just one. I don't, you don't just send me into the back room there and I go have a meal with God. We can do it with each other. It's incredible. Foreshadowing this meal together. The priest would sacrifice the lamb, symbolising the sacrifice of Jesus that would come. 
foreshadowing the blood that would be given to make a way for us to live in the presence of God. It says in Hebrews 8, 9, according to these arrangements, gifts of sacrifice, I love this, are offered that cannot perfect the conscience of the worshipper. I just love that word, worshipper. As if, how's that? Can we just take a moment and consider this if you've been a Christian for a long time? To worship God back then was all the, all the washing, all the cleansing of yourself. It was then the sacrifice, a live animal, and the blood representing what was to come. Then it was sharing a meal. And then they used to tie a rope to the priest in case he had done something wrong. And when he entered God's presence, they could pull him out. Interesting enough, there's no recorded history of God ever doing that. So we instantly think, oh, that's a bit tough on God. We don't actually know if he ever did that. Or that was just man going, who's going to fish him out if he never comes out? We'll tie a rope to him because I'm not going in there. And so how's this? He'd enter each room and then he got to worship God in a sense. He got to be in communion with the presence of God. What do we do this morning? Some of us may not even washed. We just had to have a shower, get our clothes on, get the kids dressed and get into church and we can come and worship God. Do you know what? I'll tell you a secret. Church is important for encouragement. We've talked about this, a large table. It's about encouragement, getting together, encouraging. It's important for your Christian walk. But I'll tell you a secret. On Monday morning, you're actually allowed to enter the presence of God the moment you wake up. How's that? That's what was foreshadowed. A Tuesday morning, as you're half waking up, you can pray to God. Be with me today. And it's not because you're awesome. It's because the lamb, the true lamb, the true high priest, the true blood and body was given. And so if you know Jesus, you wake up Tuesday morning, you don't need a tent, you don't need three different rooms, you don't need any ceremonial bathing. You just ask him to be a part of your life, foreshadowing what's to come. The bread, the lamb, the priest and the tabernacle. Don't get me wrong, they were good things. They were things from God. There's a real big movement at the moment of a lot of people looking back to some of this old law and going, this is good stuff, because it's from God. Not to earn their way to God, but they're saying this was, some of this was good advice. Some of, the, of course it is, it's from God. So I'm not saying it's wrong, I'm saying it's being made complete. And they weren't the goal. The, the bread, the lamb, the priest, the tabernacle, they weren't the end Goal of God. You know, Scripture tells us that once Jesus died, a massive piece of the curtain was destroyed and ripped in two. And a lot of people say, oh, well, now we can go into the Holy of Holies. I like to see it as the Holy Spirit got out. As we see in Acts 2.42, it got out. So it turns out the Holy Spirit's there with Kanye West at one of his music festivals, if you know what I'm talking about at the moment. Turns out he's converting celebrities. It turns out the Holy Spirit's already out there. We're just going to ask where it is and be a part of it. Not a building anymore, but everywhere. And lastly, the last thing, and then I want to give us some encouragement this morning. The last thing he refers to is that he talks about the law, the rules that we had. The instructions in which Yahweh had asked his people to live in the promises of God. They started with kind of Abraham and his family and then obviously Moses and his tribe and he started to work out a covenant 
rules that we could live by so that we could kind of half live with the presence of God, but not in full because it was just a shadow. 13 says, in speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete and what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. God is moving, God is moving through his plan. It was just a shadow. The law was a shadow or a greater promise that one day God would stir and grow within us as Christian community. John 15 talks about the vine. He's pruning us. He's working in us. It's not just about a bunch of rules anymore. The Spirit forms us. The Word of God helps us. We wouldn't no longer just know about God or one person in our whole church would kind of get to experience him a little bit. We can actually know God now in our daily lives. So here's a question. That might interest you, that might not. You might be like, okay, great, I appreciate what the writer has said there, that some interesting connections between the type and shadow over thousands of years of what God was doing. But what does that mean for you seconds after you start to order a coffee from Chris? What does that mean? How is that going to help you? Well, let me just give you three encouragements today that I want you to talk about post-church. Three encouragements that that helps us in. First one, Jesus has a better plan than you. Jesus has a better plan than you. The story we see in the Bible isn't a series of random events. It isn't Jesus going, I might try boxing for a little bit. It isn't God going, oh, I'm going to be in a band, hope it works out. Oh, no, there's 250 priests left over. I better do something new. Right from the beginning, he's had a plan. It talks about in Genesis... Man stamping, the snake biting the calf of man, and man's crushing its head, foreshadowing thousands and thousands of years, Jesus. God has a plan. The moment man stepped away, said, God, we're right, we can do it ourselves, God has started a plan of restoration. He goes, right, we're going to begin this. Noah, Moses... Abraham, Moses, tribe, family, individual, nation. And then he bugs them when he comes to Jesus. He said, not just you people, everyone can access Jesus. That gets them really cross. Even sinners. This great big plan. I don't know if you've got a five-year plan for your life. That's awesome. It's good to be planning. It's good wisdom. But I promise you, no matter how clear and strategic it is, no matter how on board you are, you and me and Mez tried to write a mission statement for our family at some stage. We listened to a podcast, we got really excited about that. I can't tell you where that is. It was a good exercise to talk about what we want to be as a family. Plans are good. God's plan is better. It's been playing out a lot longer. It's been working. <laughs> it's better than yours. If you're offended by that, it's kind of good. It's good to be offended by the truth that God's plan is better than yours. And we're all in the same boat. So here's a second encouragement. Hold things loosely. What do I mean by that? God tells his people early on to maintain the garden in Genesis. He wants you to, he wants you to have plans. 
He wants you to be creative. He wants you to be inspired. He wants you to try fitness. He wants you to get into that. He wants you to have interests. He wants you to build a business. He's not against you being creative and maintaining and growing what he's given you. Not at all. But just have a healthy understanding that that stuff will fade away. Just have a healthy understanding that wrath, wrath, rust and moths will destroy. Empires will fall. Things will change. And all that will be left is the work and the fruit of the kingdom. The people you helped. The relationships you grew the time you made for the church, the family, your church family, your friends, people that you're involved with, the connections you supported, the gospel you shared, the lives you saw change into more like Jesus is the only things that will be left at the end. The other stuff isn't bad, just understand that perspective. You might have 250 CDs in your garage. You might have something else. You might move out of the kid stage or kids needing a pram stage and might have a super custom-made only scooter thing on the back of your pram that suits you for those two years but then sits in a garage waiting to be sold on Gumtree. That's life. Those things will fall away and they're fun and they're part of life. But the work that Jesus does in and through you is part of a greater plan, right? Amen? It's part of an eternal plan called the kingdom. Let's take this one step, checking the time, let's take this one step deeper quickly. Get this, even Christian things will fade away. What do I mean by that? Because I don't have a priest we don't have a tabernacle and we don't have the law these days. So what do I mean in full? We do have leaders, we do have programs and we do have secondary doctrines and churches. We have heaps of stuff that's built around Jesus. Church buildings, they're an encouraging presence in the world, right? But they're only useful if they're actually a presence that represents Jesus. Otherwise, they're just a building and it'll... This will one day not be here. The best or worst sermon in the world is not helpful if it doesn't actually, if no one grows out of it or is challenged out of it or asks God to reveal something out of it. Otherwise, it's just really nice words. It'll fade away. Sometimes people I talk to people fades away within a week. That's okay, life's busy. Even your favourite worship song, which we have heaps of conversations around this church, I get because it's important, all the things discussed, they're only worth anything because it's who we sing about. The rest of it will fade away. Who knows what kids will be doing in a hundred years for worship, as long as it's about Jesus, right? As long as it's about Jesus. That's what makes it kingdom-focused. Even your favourite Bible verse is only words if it doesn't help you or you don't ask it to help you understand Jesus more. You think, oh, that's a sharp point, but I think it's Ephesians says, correct me if I'm wrong, I'm thinking, it says a clanging symbol. It's just noise. The stuff of the Spirit is just noise unless it glorifies God, unless it moves you towards Jesus. 
Even the Bible could be noise if it's actually not helping you understand Jesus, if you're not asking or using it. It's important. Just make sure we're using it in the right way. Even the bread and juice we do each Sunday, whether it's hot or cold or sometimes... One time I tasted it was a little bit off. I reckon we left it out of the fridge. We all know that one because you came and told me. <laughs> we keep it refrigerated better now. But <laughs> None of us got sick, luckily. But that stuff doesn't matter if it doesn't point to Jesus and what he did on the cross, right? Otherwise, it's just juice and bread. Meeting as a church isn't important unless we pass the gospel on. The little things we do in church, in life, even the Christian things are good, but they're actually just shadows of greater things. Let me riff on this for a moment. Let me give you this train of thought. The Israelites are in the desert. God provides manna, God's provision. Amen. They would have thought that was the most spectacular thing they had in that moment. What they didn't realize is that actually foreshadowed some other bread of life, some other provision. You fast forward years, and the priest is in the tabernacle. And the priest is coming into the tabernacle, and he's having this meal with bread, remembering God's provision, but also pointing to something else that would happen, a greater meal. Fast forward thousands of years today, we just had communion. But even communion is a shadow. We had common unity in the spirit under Christ, but it tells us, one day, there's this big wedding banquet. And you're going to get more than a little bit of juice and more than a bit of bread. You're going to have a feast. And God's going to be more than just in spirit. He'll be in presence, fully present. And we will be fully restored to him. That is why, church, our vision here is to be an ever-growing, unifying family table because we totally ripped off God's vision, which is to see his family come together and grow and extend the table. Hold things loosely. And then final point, final point this morning. Hold Christ tightly. The last point is a call to live, but to build on the foundation that is Christ. If you're going to invest in something, if you're going to spend your time on something, if you're going to put energy into something, then know that the best value for life is going to come from contributing to the eternal kingdom of God. Amen? The plan that keeps going, the plan that outlives all of us. So you might say, "Uh uh-oh, is this the time Steve asked us to volunteer and give more to church? Because it sounds like that. He's kind of going, we're going to... no, 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 I'm not. You can do that. Absolutely. We appreciate the kingdom work out of this community. What I'm encouraging you to... I'm actually saying, if you're a mechanic this morning and your plan is to have a successful creative business in your gifting, then that's awesome. What I'm asking is for you to consider how the kingdom of God is built through your honesty, your conversations with clients and your worth ethic. How does the kingdom... How does your creative gifts serve the kingdom? I'm not asking you to live here 24-7 and just do church work. That's important. That helps. We appreciate all our volunteers. I'm asking you, wherever you are, to place the kingdom higher. If you're a business owner, place the kingdom higher. There's a better plan. If you're a student, there's a better plan. If you're a retiree, connect with the people around you. There's a better plan at work. Holy Spirit's out there. He's dangerous. People are in danger of converting and changing their entire life around Jesus. 
His presence didn't leave the tent and enter the wider world so that you could just be doing it between 9 to 10 on a Sunday morning. What a promise. 2 Peter 1.4 says this, and we'll start to close up. The, through these... Sorry. Through he has given us very great and precious promises so that through them, how's this? You may, be, you may participate in the divine nature. We get to play. We get to participate. We get to work with dad in his great big plan that's been unfolding for thousands of years. And it says, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by, caused by evil desires. So here's some questions. I'd love you to write them down. I'll put them up on Facebook. Here's some questions to ask people over coffee. Here's some questions to ask your small table. Here's some questions to make sure that this isn't just 30-minute sermon this morning with no follow-up. These are some questions to ask yourself. Let me read them out. Consider this week what it would look like in your life if you held more loosely onto the world's plans and schemes. What is God asking you to loosen your grip of? Is it who you think you're trying to be apart from God? Is it your brand? Is it your anxieties or what's not the plans that aren't working out for you? What is God asking you to loosen your grip on? Maybe you're trying to find a plan that's a silver bullet. When I get this, I'll be okay. I hear a lot of parents say this. I say this. When our kids are a little bit older, then we'll have more time to do things. Turns out every person I talk to that has kids older than me laughs at that and goes, are you kidding me? Wait till you have to do the sport run. Wait till they're adults and make very unadult decisions. Or wait till they leave home and you never sleep a full night again because you're worried about them. It's never going to happen. So just submit it to God's plan and enjoy the moment you're in now with God. Don't wait for the silver bullet. Don't wait until you're super fit and a pro boxer and a famous musician before you start considering what God has for you. Give all that to him. Some of that may fade away. Some of that may be used for his glory. Give up the side hustle. Make God the main one. What would it look like in your life if you rested your plans and imagination in Jesus, the creator's plan? Don't rush God's work in you. Wherever you are right now, what would it look like to rest in his growth, his training, his healing, his massive, big, fantastic plan? And then lastly, what could you ta- it meant to say tangibly, what could you tangibly shift or change this week in pursuit of this? Right now, ask the Spirit. The next few days, ask the Spirit. What's one thing you could loosen your grip on a little and what's one thing that would help you tighten onto Christ? I'm not going to tell you how to do that. There's different ways. I've talked about, for me, one of the big things is for me to try to open the Bible in the morning. First thing, let God speak to me. Even if it's just for four minutes before the kids rush in and Noah smells like he needs to change his nappy, even if it's just that, just four minutes asking God, the presence of God, to be with me that day. That's something I do to try to hold on tighter and rest in him a little bit more. Cling to the greater plan that's been at work, the writer tells us. 
The things that we have now are just shadows. God is at work. He's been at work for the beginning of the universe to bring restoration back so that we may sit one day in the kingdom of God, all the kingdom work mattering, with the people that we've built into, the people we've connected to, the people that we've loved, and we share that holy banquet meal and do so eternally. Let me pray, and we're going to sing one more song. Father God, thank you so much that I don't have to make up encouraging things for this church, Lord. You have your word. Thank you for the book of Hebrews. Thank you for how deep, how complex, how tangible it is, Lord. And I just pray this morning that your spirit would give us some tangible things, Lord, that we can actually enact this week, that we can look at this week to hold the world a little looser and to hold Christ a little tighter. To remember that all things will pass away except for you and the kingdom of God, Lord. May we be encouraged this morning. May we be at work this week and participate in your divine holy nature. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. Let's sing together. Let's sing together. Let's sing together. Let's sing.